Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home. Before I get started today, I wanted to let you know that I just released a bonus episode on a Camp Pendleton case from the mid-80s. It's a wild case about five Marines who were all duped into killing an innocent Marine for his life insurance money. Of course, it was all orchestrated by a wicked military spouse. Be sure to check out all my bonus content on Patreon at patreon.com slash militarymurder or on Apple Premium. Today's case is hot off the press. It involves a couple of cold cases with vastly different results, a defendant who loves taking the stand in his own defense, and a terrifying thought, are there other victims still out there? Join me today as I tell you the tragic stories of Pamela Cajanes and Kathy Hicks. Now, let's dig in. Pamela J. Cajanes was born on August 25, 1958. Pamela grew up on a dairy farm in Stillwater, Minnesota. She joined the Navy when she was 25 years old and had just finished her initial Navy training when her life was cut short. On August 5, 1984, Seminole County deputies responded to Riverview Avenue in Sanford, Florida. This is north of Orlando. They were called there when the body of a woman was found laying on the side of the road. The body wasn't hidden behind a tree or anything. She was just out in the open. The woman was partially dressed and her clothes were found near the body. Items of interest nearby included shopping bags with purchases made at Kmart and the Fashion Square Mall. The victim also had $100 in her pocket. Authorities determined that the victim was 25-year-old Pamela Cajanes, and she was in town attending the Navy Training Center in Orlando. The following information is from the Seminole County Sheriff's Office, and this was a timeline they put together as they asked the public for help because, sadly, Pamela's case would take decades to solve. Investigators determined that two days before Pamela's body was discovered, she graduated from the Naval Training Center. The following day, on August 4th, Pamela went to the Orlando Kmart and checked out at about 3.18 p.m. At the Kmart, she purchased makeup and toiletries. A few hours later, Pamela was back at the training center and she was walking with an unidentified man near the Mariners Club, which is a naval lounge and bar. By 8 p.m. that night, Pamela was allegedly seen at a liquor store. Authorities believe that Pamela was killed after 1 a.m. on August 5th. When authorities found Pamela's body at 7 a.m. that morning, she was partially clothed. Her clothing, which was her white Navy uniform with her name on it, was found near her body. She had been beaten and an autopsy revealed that her cause of death was strangulation. Near her body, authorities found a receipt. It was time-stamped at 1.09 a.m., was approximately for $4, but the receipt didn't give a location nor the store that it was purchased at. Authorities believe that Pamela was killed elsewhere and then driven to the location where she was ultimately found. So many of you might be familiar with the Golden State Killer, a serial killer who was active from 1974 through 1986 in the state of California, and he was responsible for killing at least 13 people. Well. When authorities found the Golden State Killer, later identified as Joseph James D'Angelo, they basically reinvented how DNA was used to catch killers. You see, the Golden State Killer was found through genetic genealogy. 
Genetic genealogy can be useful in criminal cases in that it can help to tie DNA from a crime scene to a killer's family members. Here's an example. A crime is committed and the criminal leaves behind DNA. The thing is that the criminal has never been arrested and his DNA is not in a national database. Well, even though there is DNA linking a criminal to a case, there is no name for the criminal. But nowadays, people are using genetic genealogy to find their long-lost siblings and great-grandmas. You get the picture. Well, because so many people are doing this genetic genealogy thing, there is a giant database of DNA. Authorities can now use some of these DNA databanks to find relatives of criminals. And if they can find the criminal's sister, then they can pretty much narrow down their pool of suspects and voila, a cold case can be solved. Well, anyway, that was just a very quick lesson. But it was through genetic genealogy that authorities finally made an arrest in the murder case of Pamela Kahanes. But it wasn't so easy. You see, while genetic genealogy can get you pretty close, you still need a possible suspect's DNA, like the actual DNA from their body, either through permission or through other means to confirm with certainty that the DNA is a match. In this case, it appears that genetic genealogy got them the suspect, but before they could make an arrest, they had to be 100% certain, and they could have easily knocked on the man's door and asked for a sample. But if a murderer has been trying to lay low for over 30 years, the likelihood that they would submit to a voluntary DNA sample is minimal. So authorities in this case placed their suspect under surveillance. And in February of 2019, they got what they were looking for when the suspect threw out his trash in front of his apartment. Once the man placed the trash on the side of the road, it was abandoned property. So the authorities swooped it up. And what they found was a treasure trove of DNA evidence they found a cigarette butt, a cotton swab, and a used piece of dental floss. Bingo! When they ran the DNA test, the person's DNA was a match to the DNA found on Pamela's underwear. You see, Pamela's case was reopened in the 1990s to look for more clues. And when it was reopened, DNA in the form of semen was found on Pamela's underwear. Technology was not where it is today, so the evidence was stored until 2017-2018 timeframe. In 2019, ABC News reported that the suspect in Pamela's case was a man named Thomas Lewis Garner. He was one of Pamela's Navy Training Center classmates, and he was now, decades later, working as a dental hygienist in Florida. Thomas was charged with first-degree murder in 2019, but it would take two years to bring Thomas to trial, and Thomas was prepared to fight the murder conviction, arguing they had the wrong guy. When Thomas was first arrested for Pamela's murder, he was shocked. He told investigators that he didn't remember Pamela and that he wouldn't have hung out with a recruit. He repeatedly said, I have no idea what you're talking about. But wait, while Thomas was pending a murder trial for Pamela, his DNA hit on another unsolved murder. A murder that occurred in 1982 in Hawaii, two years before Pamela's murder in Florida. And guess who was also in Hawaii at the same time as that murder? You guessed it, Thomas Lewis Garner. The Hawaii victim was Kathy Hicks, and she was also strangled to death and abandoned out in the open. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. 
And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy. And when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. On September 19, 1982, at about 10.15 a.m., Hawaii police officers were called out to the area of 4151 Nuanu Pali Drive in Honolulu, Hawaii. They were responding to the report of a woman's body near a ravine. The responding officers were Officer Cancino and Officer Kawamato. When they arrived, they found the woman's body. It was about 20 feet from the roadway. The deceased woman was fully clothed, but her bra had been manipulated. She was wearing a reddish top and beige pants, but no footwear. The person who called 911 reported that the body was initially discovered by two joggers, but they didn't want to wait for police, so they left. Detectives ultimately found the joggers, and the joggers described that they were running, but decided to walk down by the ravine, and that's when they found the body. It was about 10 a.m. when they discovered her. The man who discovered her felt for a pulse, but didn't find one. He didn't touch the body at all, other than to feel for a pulse. Detectives on scene noted that the victim appeared to have been thrown from a car, but due to the slope on the road, her body rolled to its ending location by the ravine. The victim appeared to have been beaten as her eyes were swollen, she had blood on her lower lip and several scratches on her neck. The victim didn't have any form of identification on her person, nor near the body, but it wouldn't take long to find the Jane Doe's identity, as a report of a missing person fitting the victim's description came into the office just earlier that morning. The missing person was reported as Kathy Hicks, a Delta Airlines employee from Georgia who was in Hawaii for a softball tournament. When Kathy failed to report to her hotel room at the Ilikai Hotel that morning, her co-workers reported her missing. Kathy Hicks appeared to fit the description of the woman found near the ravine, and by 4 p.m., one of Kathy's co-workers was able to identify Kathy's body at the morgue. Everyone who was there with Kathy for the tournament was shocked. What could have happened to her? They remembered her so happy and alive just the night prior. Well, authorities went through Kathy's items in her hotel room to see if there was a clue. They found the phone number of one of Kathy's cousins who lived in Hawaii. His name was Robert Barber. When they interviewed Robert, Robert shared the following. He was a married first lieutenant in the Army and stationed at Schofield Barracks. He had been in Hawaii for two years and was excited to see Kathy because she was his first cousin. When Kathy landed on the island on September 14th at about 5 p.m., 
Robert picked her up from the airport so she could spend the night with him and his wife. The following day, he dropped her off at her hotel. Robert was supposed to pick Kathy up on September 17th, but when the day came, Kathy called to tell him that there was a change of plans. Someone else was giving her a ride and she might head towards Schofield. But Kathy never showed up. But no biggie, as he saw Kathy on September 18th at the softball tournament. When Kathy saw him, she apologized to him for not reaching out the night before. She was like, listen, I'm so sorry. I went to a club on base and I thought that I was actually on Schofield Barracks. But it turned out I was at Hickam. Kathy was like, I was going to call you and even made it all the way to the payphone with some guy named Tony. But when he told me I was on Hickam, not Schofield, I decided not to call you. Later that day, after the softball tournament, Kathy spoke to Robert's wife because Kathy was going to return to Robert's house the next day after she checked out of the hotel on September 19th. But sadly, they never spoke again. At the same time that authorities found Robert's name among Kathy's belongings in the hotel room, they also found contact information for some guy named Steve Tate. When detectives caught up with Steve, this is what he had to say. Steve was in the Army and stationed at Wheeler Air Force Base. He met Kathy on September 17th at the Tiki Club at Hickam. His friend Robert had introduced Kathy to him. The next day at the softball tournament, he saw Kathy again and they made plans to go out later that night. But when Kathy called him after 11 p.m., Steve told her he was too tired to go out. For some reason, Steve called Kathy at around 1.30 a.m. But Kathy's coworker, the one she was sharing a hotel room with, told him she wasn't there. When Steve called Kathy at 6 a.m., Kathy's roommate told Steve that Kathy never returned to her room. Authorities caught up with Kathy's hotel roommate and coworker. Her name was Laverta. Laverta told authorities that on September 18th, after 11 p.m., Kathy returned to the room with a guy named Tony. Kathy told Laverta that Steve was too tired to go out. Laverta met Tony but had no clue who he was or how Kathy met him. She just assumed that Kathy had just met him in the lobby. While Tony was in the room with Laverta and Kathy, he revealed that he was in the Navy, lived there for two years, was previously in Jacksonville, Florida, was born in Tuskegee, Alabama, and had been through Georgia before. Since Tony was the last person seen with Kathy, authorities wanted a description of the guy. Laverna said he was a black guy between 20 and 25 years old. He was roughly 5 feet 9 inches tall, weighed about 150 pounds, had black hair, brown eyes, and kind of a narrow face. Laverna said that after a little bit, Kathy and Tony left. While she didn't know where they were going, she presumed they were headed to the pool area. When authorities interviewed other Delta employees, they found someone who bumped into Kathy and her male companion after they left their hotel room. This coworker was named Katronia, and she remembered seeing Kathy and a guy she remembered as Tommy, not Tony. Katronia gave a similar description of this Tommy Tony character and said when she left Kathy, Kathy and Tommy were headed towards the pool area. As detectives interviewed people about Kathy and her last known whereabouts, they kept hearing about this black guy she was with. His name was either Tony or Tommy, but who the hell was he? They were able to come up with a sketch of the guy, but he seemed like a mystery man. Then detectives interviewed another person who recalled the man's name was Thomas. So now cops were looking for Tony, Tommy, or Thomas. With nothing else to go on, one of the HPD detectives contacted NCIS to ask for help to identify this mystery man who appeared to be connected to the Navy. They were looking for a black guy, 20 to 25 years old, named Tony or Tommy stationed in Hawaii and previously stationed in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, NCIS returned a list of names, but the list was only for sailors named Tony, and the list didn't appear to be helpful to the investigation. 
When the chief medical examiner conducted an autopsy on Kathy Hicks, they stated that her manner of death was homicide and the cause of death was asphyxiation due to manual strangulation. It was notable that she had been beaten as well as strangled. There was no trauma to her vaginal or external genital area, but there was sperm found in her vagina, which was taken as evidence. It should be noted that there was no alcohol or drugs found in her system. Sadly, at the time in 1982, authorities interviewed everyone they thought would have details about Kathy's death or the mystery man, but they got nowhere. In 2017, over three decades after Kathy's murder, items from Kathy's cold case file were sent for testing, specifically the underwear she was wearing when she was found. It took three years to process, but finally, in early January 2020, Hawaii PD criminalist Shirley Young called the cold case team to let them know she got a partial DNA profile. Young said she would enter the DNA profile into the Hawaii State DNA Index System and the National Index System where it would be continuously searched for a match. And not even four days after getting this call, the detective on the case received another call. They got a match. What? A case that seemed to have been stuck in limbo for so many years now seemed to be moving at the speed of light. Detective Jennifer Spears from the Seminole PD called the HPD and was like, the DNA profile in Kathy Hicks case matches the DNA profile for some dude who was arrested last year in the cold case of Pamela Cajanes, a murder that occurred in 1984 in Florida. The DNA profile belonged to none other than Thomas Garner. The HPD cold case detectives heads were spinning and that's when they received Thomas's history and they learned that Thomas joined the Navy Reserve in 1979, then was stationed in Hawaii from 1980 through October of 1982. Thomas was from Tuskegee, Alabama, and had connections to Jacksonville, Florida, although he had never actually been stationed there. Authorities obtained a current 2020 picture of Thomas Garner, but they wanted a picture of him from the 1980s to compare to the sketch that witnesses helped make all those years ago. They got help from Thomas's ex-wife, let me just say, ain't nothing like an ex-wife to help out with an investigation. We got all the dirt. Okay, anyway, they put the 1980s picture of Thomas up against five other randoms. They hunted down one of the 1980s witnesses, and while she wasn't able to pick out one picture, she did narrow it down to three pictures, and Thomas's picture was one of them. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. 
Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Thomas's trial for first-degree murder in Florida for the 1984 death of Pamela Cahanas took place in May of 2021. After the prosecution presented DNA evidence, which was the smoking gun in this case, they also introduced Thomas's initial 2019 statement to police that he wouldn't have been hooking up with a recruit. I'm assuming because he was not a recruit. Well, when it was the defense's turn to present a case, Thomas Garner took the stand in his own defense. Thomas denied any involvement in Pamela's death and then testified that it was possible that he did have sex with Pamela, but that he was so promiscuous back then that he couldn't remember. His exact words as quoted in the Orlando Sentinel were, quote, if I had casual sex with Miss Kahanis, I probably wouldn't remember, end quote. He definitely didn't kill her, though. At least that's what he testified to. When the jury deliberated, it was clear they were not buying Thomas's story, and it only took them a whopping two hours to return a guilty verdict. There was a sigh of relief for many people who attended Thomas's trial. You see, in the decades since Pamela was murdered, her mother had died and was not able to see justice had for her baby. But Pamela's sisters made sure to show up and confront the man that took their best friend. Three of Pamela's sisters confronted Thomas. One of the sisters read, quote, As Garner sits in prison, I hope he thinks of the time he lived free while my family was suffering, end quote. With that, Circuit Judge Marlene Alva sentenced Thomas Garner to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Eileen Bergman, one of Pamela's sisters, said after the sentence, quote, I'm elated. I feel a sense of relief and just it's over. It's done. Finally, after all these years, end quote. Another sister, Annette Lindham, praised DNA evidence, saying, quote, thank God for DNA, you know, if it wasn't for that. And who knows if he's a serial killer or not. But now they have his DNA. So maybe there's other cold cases that can finally be resolved because of this one, end quote. And well, she wouldn't be wrong. You might recall that Thomas Garner had been connected to a different murder a month before his trial in the case of Pamela began. But it wasn't until 43 days after he began his life sentence that he was formally indicted in Hawaii for the murder of Kathy Warnett Hicks. Thomas Garner's second degree murder trial began in Hawaii in July of 2023. Kathy's family had been waiting over 40 years for justice. And after traveling from Georgia to Florida to attend Thomas's murder trial for the death of Pamela Kahanas, they were hopeful that justice, while long overdue, was finally on its way. The murder trial appeared to be very similar to that of Pamela Kahanas, except for the fact that various witnesses actually saw Thomas Garner with Kathy Hicks hours before her body was discovered. You might recall that some guy named Tony or Tommy or Thomas was with Kathy. Kathy even brought him up to her room to meet her co-worker. This Hawaii murder trial was mostly technical. Thomas's DNA was found on Kathy's underwear. Now, you might be thinking, this is a slam dunk of a case. Thomas had already been convicted for killing someone two years after Kathy. But that evidence was not introduced at this trial. The defense had successfully argued to keep that information out of his trial. And since there was no nexus between the two crimes, Legally, you cannot introduce one bad act to prove that the other bad act also occurred. So the 12 jury members were blind, but for the fact that Thomas was seen with Kathy earlier in the night and his semen was found on her underwear, 
they had no clue that sitting in front of them was a convicted killer. When the prosecution rested their case, the defense had an ace up their sleeve, their very own client, Thomas Garner. He had taken the stand in his case against Pamela, and it clearly didn't work. But at this point, he had nothing to lose. So he did it again. As reported by the Star Advertiser, Thomas took the stand and he had a perfectly good explanation why his DNA was on Kathy's underwear. He remembered it was September 1982. He couldn't remember the woman's name, but remembered meeting who he now knew was Kathy Hicks. As soon as Kathy walked into the lounge, Thomas was struck by Kathy's beauty. When he met her and got to chatting, he found out she was single. And according to him, she was the first single black woman he had met in Hawaii in his two and a half years in the state. They got to chatting and hit it off because they were both from the South. Thomas testified that Kathy invited him back to her hotel room and Thomas admitted he met Kathy's roommate. Afterwards, he said he called a shuttle and they went to a different hotel together. There, they had consensual sex, and after sex, they went back out and went dancing. Afterwards, he claimed he paid for a cab to take Kathy back to her hotel room. He said it was about 2.30 a.m. when he and Kathy split ways, but she was very much alive. He claimed that he couldn't drive Kathy back to her own hotel room because his car's transmission was broken, so he had no car that night. During closing arguments, the prosecutor, Scott Bell, told the jury that Thomas killed Kathy after he got what he wanted. He knew Kathy was on her way back out of the state, and Thomas had orders within the next five weeks to head to Florida. His DNA was in her underwear, and he was the last person seen with her. But the public defender argued that there were multiple sources of DNA in Kathy's underwear and that maybe Stephen, the other guy Kathy was supposed to meet up with that night, maybe he was the one that killed her. By the way, side note, Stephen was ruled out as a suspect in Kathy's case early on. The public defender also pointed to a lack of motive, lack of vaginal injury, and the mystery of how Kathy's body would have gotten to the ravine if Thomas was truly without a car. Many of us always believe that deliberations are cut and dry, black and white, but many times it's just different shades of gray. The 12 jury members in the Hawaii case seem to be stuck from their very first day of deliberations. The first day of deliberations began on a Friday and the jury was told, guilty or not guilty of second-degree murder. Those are your only options. After deliberating for a day, the jury asked the judge one question. Are you sure there aren't any other options? Nope. Guilty or not guilty? Go back and keep deliberating. By the end of the day on Monday, still no verdict. Everyone waited all day Tuesday. And finally, at the end of the day, a verdict. The defendant returned to the courtroom in his civilian clothing, looking like he had lost at least 40 pounds since he had been arrested in 2019. Kathy's family also sat in the courtroom. The verdict was read, not guilty. I assume Thomas gave a sigh of relief. Not sure why, since he'd be heading straight back to jail, but Kathy's family was devastated. What in the actual hell? Kathy's family was furious, and they should be. Braylon Hicks, Kathy's sister, said that despite the fact that Thomas is going back to jail, that doesn't matter to her. Quote, as far as I'm concerned, for me, he set free as far as what he did to my sister, end quote. Kathy's younger brother, who was unnamed in the news article I read, was 15 years old when Kathy died. 
And sadly, back in September of 1982, when the police called the Hicks home to report her death, the young brother answered the phone. The Honolulu police thought they were speaking to Kathy's father, and they reported her death to her young brother. He clearly remembers that day until today. Kathy's young brother went on to become a police officer and has been one for the last 32 years. Speaking to the Star Advertiser after the verdict, he said, quote, He killed my sister the same exact way that he killed the woman in Florida. What I don't understand is you got to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Is it probable that he could have dropped her off at 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m., put her in a safe cab to her hotel, and somebody could take her from there and murder her? End quote. The brother lamented that the jury, quote, took his word for it like it was God's honest truth, end quote. Kathy's mother, Joan Hicks, who is now 87 years old, had written a victim impact statement in anticipation of sentencing. In it, she wrote, quote, in one shameful act, you took from us our daughter, big sister, cousin, friend, and coworker. She was an encourager to many. When you killed her, you killed a part of each of us. I've seen the toll Kathy's death has taken on my husband, Mr. Hicks, who's 90. Since hearing of your apprehension, he has continued to physically and emotionally diminish. Both of us are seniors now, unable to travel the distance to Hawaii to witness your trial, but we are thankful to know that justice is finally being served. While you've had over 35 years to enjoy life and walk free, Kathy did not have that privilege. Kathy had a life filled with so much promise. You managed to snuff that out with your selfish, barbaric actions. Today doesn't bring closure, it brings justice. We are hopeful you will never see another day of freedom. May God have mercy on your soul, end quote. Sadly, those words from a heartbroken mother are words that Thomas Garner will never hear because he was acquitted. As reported in the Star Advertiser, one of Kathy's cousins, San Ireland, said that she was really close to Kathy and they worked together for Delta Airlines. She recalled that Kathy asked her to go with her on her trip to Hawaii, but Ireland said no. Till this day, she wonders if she would have gone, would Kathy still be alive? She also stated that Kathy sent various postcards from Hawaii, and in a twisted turn of fate, some of Kathy's postcards didn't reach her family until after her death. It seemed Kathy would speak to her family from beyond the grave. Kathy attended Georgia State University and majored in English. She was 25 years old when she died. After her death, her family discovered some poetry she wrote. What a sad case. I'm happy for Pamela's family, but I am truly heartbroken for Kathy's family. This is one of those cases where you don't know what to feel. I at least felt kind of blah. Kathy's family was in the dark for so long, and then the case moved at the speed of light, only to be halted in a similar speed. The good thing is that Thomas Garner is behind bars and can never hurt anyone again. But the question remains, are there any other victims out there? Thank you so much, True Crime Army, for joining me for this cold case story. I hope you'll subscribe for free on whatever platform you're listening to so you never miss an episode. All you have to do is click the little check mark or the plus. My sources for this episode include various affidavits and articles in the Seminole Sheriff's Office, clickorlando.com, abcnews.com, Star Advertiser, and the Honolulu PD website. 
Military Murder is a Mama Margot production. This episode is executive produced by Jen, Tina, Alicia, Bob, Falcon 13, Nicole, and Myrtle. Our newest associate producer is Sydney. Our newest assistant producers are Candy and Ashley. The theme music was created by TyOps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. Working on our podcast. I don't want to.